This is an episode of the Done Deal Podcast. Welcome back to the second episode of the Done Deal Podcast. I am your host, David Harris, and with me as always is Morgan Dunn. He is the he is a contributor to the fan-sided NBA news desk and fan-sided Sir Charles in Charge, and also the team writer for the New York Knicks for Roadrunners. No, for Runner Sports. <laughs> Roadrunner Sports is a different company completely. The Runner Sports. Morgan, welcome back. We're excited for our second ever episode. Yes. Uh, they said we would never get here, but here we are, back by popular demand. Exactly. And you know, I was thinking as we were getting ready about the best sequels of all time. So I figured we should, we should have at least a one second debate because clearly there's only two options. It's either Star Wars or Ace Ventura. I don't see how there's anything in between there. (laughs) I know there's no talking you out of Ace Ventura, so I'll let you have that one. (laughs) Uh, Because, or else, you know, we'll do 45 minutes on that and forget to mention the NBA. So, uh, true. Bumblebee tuna, we should. It's, it's to you. <laughs> All right, well, following up from last week, we talked through um, Eastern Conference preview, um, you know, kind of quick takes based on, you know, all of your research and your writings for the websites that we mentioned earlier. Um, and also, you know, weaving in some of the analytics stuff that I'm that I'm passionate about from our friends at 538. Yeah. Um, so this week, I think let's let's move on to the Western Conference. Um and, you know, do our same thing, you know, a couple minutes for each team. What are, what are our initial takes? And we'll run through the, the 538 predictions. Sounds good. So with that, let's, let's start out. So I, I should mention that. So we record this podcast remotely, Morgan in San Diego. And I am recently relocated to the Dundeal podcast headquarters in Oakland, California, <laughs> which is it's really just my house in Oakland. <laughs> you don't even have a chair to sit on right now because you just moved in. I don't, yeah. This carpet, though, is quite soft and very comfortable. <laughs> These are the accommodations that would only suit uh, the Dundeal podcast. That's right. That's right. But the first team up on the, on the list here is in the Pacific Division, the Golden State Warriors, right here in Oakland for the next oh, couple yes. of years at least. Yes, yes. Uh, well, obviously they're the best team in the league. Uh, <laughs> anyone who would say otherwise is in denial or something. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of them, but if you can't admit that they're just the best team, uh, then I, you're, you're watching a different game of basketball than I am. Um, you know, they're almost... I don't know if it was you I was talking about this with recently, but, like, I'm almost bored by them because they're so good. Um, you know, and all the three-point barrages and the the ball sharing is is really awesome but at some point it just gets almost boring to me um i don't know what that says about me or my attention span probably not great things but i mean just their core four alone is kind of pure insanity and the way that they've they've gelled you know especially like um you know kind of like the second half of last season and on and um, you know, once Curry and Durant sort of figured out how to coexist a little more than the beginning of the year, I mean, I just, how do you beat this team four out of seven times if they're at full strength? And they really do have a nice deep bench. They, 
they make little Bob Myers every offseason, little moves, you know, Nick Young, you know, guys like that, the Sean Livingstons of the world for this team and stuff. Like, they just keep filling out the roster really well after even after they lose guys. Yeah, no, I agree. That's actually what I was going to say, too, is that everyone knows they're, you know, the big four, they're all-stars, they're all-world at each of their respective positions. But yeah. it is, like... It's, you know, good, solid role players that, that fill out that bench. And, you know, those guys don't get huge run in the playoffs and all that, but they they run a really good second team in the regular season that allows to give those stars rest. And the Warriors still win and still be, you know, widely favored as for the number one seed and have been for the last couple of years in the West. So, like, yeah. it doesn't, you know, you, you don't play Patrick McCaw big minutes in the, in the postseason, but in the regular season when he can step in and give you 15 minutes a game, you know, it's, that's time you're not you're not running Draymond Green out there. You're not running Durant out there. You know, it's like it it does it does go a long way. Yeah, I mean, I think McCaw's a good example of just like a really nice pick that they make in the second round or whatever, and like the kind of guy that I mean, he wasn't really on my radar. I'm really into the draft, and you know, there's a reason I'm not running a team, and Bob Myers is. Yeah. And, you know, the, the other thing you mentioned, just we won't spend too much time on the Warriors. And it's it's kind of like, you know, we all expect them to be tops in the Western Conference again. But yeah. in my opinion, it's just beautiful basketball. Like the ball sharing thing you mentioned. And, like, they are they are good. They, they play a really good brand of basketball. The games and the atmosphere in Oakland are incredibly fun. It's super That's loud. True. The fans are super knowledgeable. Like, it's – I get how there's that sort of fatigue factor where they're yeah. just, you know – Maybe they were fun before Durant, but now they're just like a super team that no one really likes. But <laughs> I still find it to I still find it to be super fun. And um, so anyway, I, I think we can safely slot them in for the number one seed in the Western Conference, and very yeah. likely to to be seeing them deep into June. Yeah, I'd be shocked uh, if it were anything otherwise. Yeah. All right, let's move on uh, in the Pacific Division. Let, let's talk about the Clippers. They went through some pretty big changes in the off season. This this year, you know, yeah. losing Chris Paul. Um, so so, what are you, what are your thoughts there on, on the on the Clippers? I think um, in general, I'm a little lower on the Clippers than what I've been seeing from a lot of people. Um, I have them as my eighth seed, and I think a lot of a lot of projections I've been seeing kind of have more like six, and that might not be a big difference. That could be like a two three game difference, but. Um, you know, losing Chris Paul is is rough, and I know like that whole dynamic with with the three guys there was sort of wearing out its welcome, and you know, but but losing a player of his caliber is gonna hurt, and you know they got a considering he was leaving anyway, they got a decent package for him with Beverly and Decker, and you know just kind of like some bench guys and stuff, but I, Blake Griffin isn't known for his. Uh, for his health, you know, there's a good chance yeah. that he's going to miss a chunk of games. Uh, I have been pretty impressed with him to start the season. Um, but, you know, I'm, I just still don't know if he's the kind of guy that, that can be your number one. You're like a really good quality playoff team. And I'm not a huge fan of Doc Rivers as a coach. I think he got way overrated uh, thanks to, you know, the big three era in Boston. And uh, I don't know. I just... I think they're being a little overrated, but I I definitely can see myself proven wrong because there is talent. I like the Gallinari uh, 
addition. And uh, but again, that's another guy who doesn't have a great health history. You know, he's been injured a lot. So I just think that they could be the kind of team you don't really want to see in the playoffs. You know, because in the first round they might give you more of a series than you want to deal with for someone like Golden State or San Antonio or something. But I think. Yeah, you know, I've got them locked in as my eight seed, and that's it. Yeah, and you mentioned like you know the difference between the six and the eight seed in the West is probably going to come down to you know a few games here and there. But yeah. if you're one of those teams, it makes a big difference, right? If you're the eight seed, you play the Warriors, and if you're the six seed, you play a likely lesser team and have a better chance of advancing. So, you know, yeah. in years past, where the the gap between you know the number one and number two seed wasn't as as big as it is, like you you feel like those couple extra wins are going to be important to get you at least you know a respectable season where you're you know getting into the second round of the playoffs but you know probably the clippers don't have what it takes to really be contenders against some of those other top tier teams in the west yeah i I totally agree i think uh like you said i mean the difference between coming up against golden state and oklahoma city might be just you know one or two seeds but i mean i think it's pretty obvious it's a it's a pretty big gap of competition uh as you know, OKC obviously has talent, but they just they can't compare to Golden State, in my opinion. Yeah. So so let, let's look over to, you know, the 538 numbers. So, again, I'll, I'll remind the listeners that, you know, I pulled these 538 projections um, from the their, their final preseason ratings for each team. Um, and, you know, it's based on, you know, the, the statistical projections that they make. Um, and, you know, I talked about that in the first podcast we don't have to rehash it here but they've got them uh also locked in as the eight seed ironically all right in, yeah in in the western conference is a is a 46 and 36 record which is a oh i'm sorry i had i had this not sorted correctly um i have the eastern conference in here as well so they're actually which is funny because there's only one eastern conference team in the top eight <laughs> here so they're actually they're actually locked in as the seventh seed in the west all right <laughs> That's so That's ridiculous, it just goes, but... goes to show how much of a power conference the Western Conference really is. <laughs> yeah. That's um, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So 17 in the West, 46 and 36. Um, and But just like you said, like there's a lot of a lot of teams right in, in this area where, you know, a win or two is going gonna, is gonna to change the seed pretty drastically. So we'll get right. to those uh, a little later on. All right. All right. Let's. Let's move on to another one of the hype teams, and this one is both good and bad hype, but they're, they're, they're brothers or sisters in Los Angeles, the Lakers. <laughs> yeah, Obviously, the Lakers. very hyped with, with the, yeah, with the ball, um, I don't know what to call him, draft pick this year and, and getting him into the NBA and seeing what he can do. Um, but wh- where do you project this team falling out? Um, I don't think they're going to sniff the playoffs, and I think that's already become pretty apparent. I think the hype for this team as far as, like, this year's success has already become, like, apparent that it was a little overblown, and I get it. It's the Lakers. It happens, but uh, this team is way too young, way too inexperienced. They have a lot of talent going forward. I think there's plenty of reason to be hopeful you know, for the first time in a few years for Lakers fans. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, they're probably looking at, like, the 11 spot, something like that. Even That's probably even their best-case scenario. I mean, there are good, solid teams that are going to, that I have 
you know, missing the playoffs that are going to be better than they are. But, you know, the future is bright. I think Ball's going to be a a pretty good player. I don't think he's going to be a superstar like some people think. I think he's got more holes in his game than, than a lot of people are maybe willing to admit. The passing's amazing. I hate the jump shot. It's one of the worst-looking jump shots I've seen this side of Sean Marion. Uh, it, yeah. does, it, does, it does go in at a decent clip, but it's hard to get off, especially off the dribble. Um, I think Brandon Ingram's a guy with a lot of upside, but he plays a lot of iso ball, man. He's a bit of a ball stopper, and that's not going to work for the kind of offense that Walton wants to run over there. And Julius Randle's getting a little pouty. I mean, <laughs> they're all young, and it's going to take some time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And did, did you like, I mean, given that they got Lonzo Ball this year, did you like them moving on from D'Angelo Russell? I think it made a lot of sense. Um, Russell was off to a pretty rocky start in a multitude of ways in Los Angeles. And I think, uh, you know, them parting made a lot of sense. And he, he needed a fresh start. Um, so I, and, and, you know... They ended up getting Kyle Kuzma in that draft. A lot of people don't realize that's how they got the draft pick for him, and and he's a player that's got you know looks a lot better already than most of us thought. Um, so yeah, I think I think it was a good deal for both sides, and it just made sense because you know Russell, he was just the second pick just a few years ago. You know he wasn't ready to to play. You know basically third dog on the team maybe it would have been or something you know because ingram and ball are more prized prospects than he would have been so it made sense yeah yeah and russell had a interesting development path playing next to kobe bryant for you know kobe's last season (laughs) and that's that can't be an easy task for a 20 year old or whatever he was (laughs) at the time yeah he was like i think he might even been 19 he was one of those super young guys that come coming out of ohio state yeah so and we saw he was pretty immature with the off the court issues that he ran into and all that crap yeah absolutely absolutely and and once again the analytics are backing you up here um the 538 got him as the let's see 11th best team in the west 32, nice. yeah. 32 and 50. Uh, you know, we, we have to overlap every now and again. I know. This is this is crazy, though. I feel like we're, we're, we we got to go off the rails here soon. It, was, it, can't, it can't be this consistent <laughs> all the way through. I'm sure it's coming. I know. I, I have a feeling for at least one uh, team, I'm going to have some, some issues with 538. Oh, cliffhanger. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's how you keep the listeners involved, man. That's right. That's right. More, more to come. Hear, hear Morgan's, Morgan's wildcard projections. It's like a radio teaser. <laughs> All right. Let's head out to the desert and one of your favorite team names, the Phoenix Suns. Great mascot. <laughs> Makes no sense, but yes. Um, this is a... This has been a weird team the last several years. I mean, they had that that year. I don't know how long ago it would be now. Maybe four years ago where they tried to tank and then they almost made the playoffs and that screwed up their whole plan. Um, the beauty of the plan was its simplicity, but it quickly <laughs> became complicated. And then they weren't sure whether to tank. Then they had a thousand point guards on the roster and all of a sudden, it just seemed like they didn't know what their direction was. And I understand, you know, you winning through a real wrench in their plan and everything. But uh, 
then they, you know, they signed Tyson Chandler and went after LaMarcus Aldridge. And they didn't get him. And now they're like, okay, we're officially committed to the youth movement. So they got Devin Booker, uh, you know, who had whatever, the 70-point game last year. I mean, I think he's a little overrated. He's got a lot of upside for sure, um, at least offensively. And uh, Marcus Chris, Dragon Bender, they just drafted Josh Jackson. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of talent. I mean, if if two of those four guys really hit, you're in pretty good shape. And you know, they might they might score uh, another young asset for Bledsoe um, now that he's on the market, but. This team's going to be probably pretty bad for a while, despite the little, you know, the little surge they've had with the coaching change. But that's pretty standard. That happens all the time, and that's not sustainable. Yeah, this this team is a team that I used to love, as you know, back in the Steve Nash and yeah. Stoudemire days. Um, and I've sort of followed them ever since. But I, I, I was thinking the exact same stuff when we were thinking about, like, what, like this team and their projections. Is You know, you look back, they had Dragic, Bledsoe, and Isaiah Thomas. And they've now turned those in, yeah. which were Isaiah Thomas on that really great contract. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, they basically turned that in, turned all, those three guys into, like, almost nothing at this point. Right? They got Brandon Knight on a worse contract who is hurt all the time now. Yeah. And then got Bledsoe who right. doesn't want to be there anymore. So they, they really made the worst of yeah. a good situation with that, with those, those assets that they had. Yeah, it was like a... Um... A class and what not to do with your assets is just really poor asset management. Yeah, and, and, and now, you know, Dragic sort of demanded the trade. And now, you know, we see Bledsoe doing the same thing. Like, is this a is this a, a disease within the organization that they just they can't make people happy? Or you, do you think this was just sort of happenstance and like the, the result of not having the vision like we were talking about? Well, it's an interesting question because I really think it, there's a good chance it's of some of both because, you know, the owner, Robert Sarver, doesn't have the most stellar reputation around the league. Um, and, and, you know, for some organizations, it's just a trickle-down effect from the, from the owner down to the management to the coaching to the players. And it can just, you know, kind of permeate the entire organization and... Uh, but also, I think they really did get thrown off in their plan. Uh, they felt like, okay, maybe we're ready to contend now. And it's easy to fall victim to that and overvalue your own talent a little bit. And I, I don't know. I think it's probably a little bit of both. But this is this is a team that's, that's going to be bad for a while, I think. Yeah, yeah. And they are, they are building the assets, you know, for the future. And I think they finally have that. Uh, you know that vision in mind but yeah certainly they were they've made some interesting moves the last few years but uh, yeah firmly <laughs> in tank mode now 538's got yeah. them as the third worst team in the west you know the team that's, uh-huh. that's really going for some some high lottery picks yeah i think i i personally think that i i would put them last in the conference come season's end Wow, that is significantly worse. So 538 was projecting the Kings to be worse by seven wins. So not a little wow. worse, but a lot worse. So you're, you're, you're really pretty low. Either you're pretty low on the Suns or you're pretty high on um, the Kings or the Mavs, who the 538 has below them. But I, I guess we'll get to right. those teams when we, 
uh, when we talk about it. Yeah, I guess I don't want to jump the gun, so I'll just hold off. <laughs> All right. All right, let's keep... Actually, funny enough, in that same Pacific Division is the Sacramento Kings. Oh, yeah. Right. So we're next on the list anyway. Uh, yeah, so I am a little... I'm low on the Suns, but I'm also pretty high on this Kings team, which is something I really did not envision myself saying. I mean, even as recently as, you know, six months ago, I think I would have been shocked to know that I would have said that, but the DeMarcus Cousins trade uh, ushered in a new era for this organization, obviously. You know, you get rid of your, your the biggest star you've had, you know, probably since, like, the C-Web days, and um, they didn't get a great haul, it, it seemed, at least, you know, and it's hard. It, we've seen a lot of that, not getting, you know, um, much return on stars uh, lately for trades, and... Uh, but I think I think they've actually made some decent moves, like um, drafting De'Aaron Fox. I'm really high on that kid. I I just think he's going to be the tough leader, you know, point guard that 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 you can really help the culture of an organization, and that's something they're obviously focusing on now. I think uh, last year's pick of Scalabissier was really savvy. He was a guy that that entered that. His, co- his collegiate season ranked number two on a lot of guys' draft boards, and he just had a rough year at Kentucky, but he's got a ton of potential. Um, you know, they have they, they drafted Justin Jackson. Uh, they got a, a nice little stable of young talent, Buddy Heald. Um, and then they added some veterans this year, like George Hill, I thought, was a nice, reasonable contract. Um, the Zach Randolph deal, while he had some... Uh, some off the court issues this season with his horticultural interests, but uh, you know, I think I think he is a good guy for for a guy like Lavisier to learn from. You know, to learn how to how to you know score in the post, and and Zebo has always been really skilled, and so is Lavisier. I I think he's actually a good like, you know, physical tutor. Maybe I don't necessarily know if I want them going out together after practice or games, but uh, you know. Overall, I think it's a good mix. The team's definitely going for a culture change, and I think they're off to a pretty promising start. I, I kind of like this team. I don't think they're going to you know, be good this year, but I think they'll be better than the Suns and probably the Mavs too. Yeah, I feel like – so I, I, I disagree with you on this one, to, to be honest, because I, I feel like uh-huh. this is a team that, that might be catching themselves in that limbo. Like, Do you think this roster – has the star that it needs to even make the playoffs they, with no significant changes, no hits on their draft picks in the next two years. Within two years, I'd probably go no, but if you're giving me a third year, I'm getting interested. Interesting. I think Fox and Labissiere both present enough upside that that they, they can be good enough to... Uh, Especially Fox, you know, I think he's going to, he's so mature already, I think his game's going to mature quickly too, and I think that's going to be a real boon to the entire team, and um, I think, like I said, probably a third year, and I'd be more interested, partially just because of the competition in that conference. Yeah, yeah, I just, I I feel like the George Hill, a guy I like, a guy that I've had on quite a few of my fantasy teams, because he's kind of just like... He's just a smart basketball player. He makes good decisions. 
Yeah. And it, and it shows up in the stat book and it shows up with the teams that he's on. But I just, I feel like with this team, yeah, he's a good mentor, but he might be just a little bit too good and take them a little bit too far and take them out of the running for some of those top lottery picks. So, I, I, well, well, the beauty for them is they don't own their own pick this year. Oh, so, see, I didn't know that. This is why we have yeah, you around, the guy that's actually paying attention. <laughs> There's no analytics to tell you that. You just have to know <laughs> it or not. But, uh, yeah, because they – I can't remember what trade it was in. They've made some really bad deals. But um, I don't even know who owns it off the top of my head. But I, I'm pretty sure they don't have their pick. So – it gives them no incentive to tank this year. So if they do actually make progress and then the following year they can be a semi-contender at least, it would make a little more sense. Yeah, it, it definitely, I mean, I definitely see the value of sort of imparting that veteran leadership and what it takes to be a pro in the NBA on the younger guys. It's always good to have, to have those guys around the team and, and when you're developing talent like that. Yeah, and if they have no incentive to be terrible this year... You know, I think I think that's another reason they're not going to sit guys at the end of the year like we saw the Suns do. So that's that's another reason I think they're just they're probably going to finish ahead of Phoenix. Yeah, that's a good call, and that's again that's something the analytics will never see, right? They'll never see the you know intentional sitting or intentional tanking from a team right. that's going to drive down their win total. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, anyway, we we talked about it already, but yeah, the, the Kings they've got the Kings as the worst team in the West with only twenty four wins. Which actually is yeah. is the worst team in the entire NBA right now is what for what they have in, the, in their wow. projections. Yeah, even worse than the Bulls. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, although I guess <laughs> playing in the West, though, I mean, you're kind of inherently yeah, up against true. tougher teams. That's true. The scheduling probably does does carry enough weight to knock them pretty far down from a projection standpoint. You know, when you when you're crunching the numbers like that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Does the term crunching the numbers make me sound old and stupid? <laughs> well, it does sound like you have like an adding machine where you're kind of pulling on that lever <laughs> right. and the tape is coming out. There's a lever, yeah. <laughs> I'm up like, you know, sweating at night at my desk with my adding machine. Yeah. I don't think that's how it works anymore, but you, you never know. Someone might be doing that. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Just checking. All right. So that was that was pretty quick work of the Pacific Division. I think this is this next set of teams is probably some of the more exciting ones. Um, mm-hmm. So starting in the Southwest Division, the first one up here is the Dallas Mavericks. Not the most exciting team. Uh, again, yeah, I guess get them out of the way first, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so what what are your thoughts? We sort of talked about it already, but what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I think they could be the worst team in the West. I still think I would still. Uh, take Phoenix over them to, to have the worst record, but they're uh, they just don't have a lot of talent. I mean, I'm just not a big fan of this roster. Uh, they seem to kind of hate Nerlens, which is a little odd. Maybe they just don't want to pay him. They're trying to drive down his value by not playing him. Uh, but he seems like a guy who should be getting more minutes for them. Um, Dennis Smith, uh, obviously had an awesome summer league and had, I think the hype train definitely got out of control with him. Like he's going to have his issues. Like I'm pretty sure he had two points tonight and four turnovers or something like that. I saw earlier. So like, you know, he's not, 
everybody wanted to talk about him. Summer League, you just, you never know what exactly you can trust. And some guys are just a little more prepared for that kind of level of competition. It doesn't mean they're ready for the league league, you know? Yeah. You got an aging Dirk, uh, you know, who's who's not going to be able to play big minutes, and he's probably going to rest a bunch. Harrison Barnes is a player that I do like, though he is a little one-dimensional offensively, and, and he's definitely not like you're a go-to guy on a really good team. Um, and, you know, Wes Matthews, solid veteran, but... Yeah, I mean, overall, I just don't think this is a very talented roster. And, you know, this is, they're in that weird transition phase. And, uh, you know, it would probably uh, behoove them to be bad and, and, you know, land a top pick and hopefully score a potential star. I think that's kind of their only move at this point. Yeah, yeah. Let's, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, when I, when I think about this team, I sort of think about Dirk's waning years and, we talked about this last week that, you know, every big man that can yeah. shoot isn't Dirk. And it's good to just call it, like, he is such an impressive player. I mean, he's 39 this year. And, like, he yeah. obviously can't carry a team like he did before. But he's still a useful asset. Like, do you see them pulling the trigger and, and trying to trade him? And do you think he has any trade value at this point in his career? I think he would have some value to, like, a team looking for a veteran shooter because um, he'll always be able to do that. And, but it's hard to envision him leaving. I think he'd have to go to Mark Cuban and, and have like a sit down and be like, I just want, you know, one more shot at a ring or something, but he got his ring. He's super loyal to that organization. I feel like he'll, he'll be a part owner as soon as he retires kind of a deal. And, I don't know. He might just be like, okay, with just being like, yeah, I'm going to ride out this season and, and that'll be it. Yeah. But I think there would be value for him. I'd love to see him go to a team like the Spurs, which would be really weird to see him in that uniform after all the battles those two teams had that back would. in the day. But yeah. He is impressive, man. He's he's really still a, a, a solid player uh, considering his age. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah, and the other name you mentioned, and you know, I don't think we want to get too far into the business of the NBA in this podcast, but I just I remember, you know, I guess it was last off season, um, so a little over a year ago now, when you know Harrison Barnes went to Dallas and Kevin Durant came to the Warriors and Durant took a discount or whatever, but it's hard it's hard not to talk about like this whole max salary construct, right? With Harrison Barnes, I'm looking at his number right now. He's yeah. making twenty three million dollars this year. And I think the max that Durant could have made was like $25 million at the time. It was like a $2 million difference between Barnes and Durant. And so it's like, right. if you're the Warriors, how do you not do that, right? Like it doesn't, it sure. creates these these weird, um, you know, financial trade-offs when you get to the upper echelons where you're not trading that much money for a, for the level of star that you're getting. Yeah, it was a massive upgrade. And for like you're saying, for a minimal financial you know disparity like it, it doesn't make much sense and i feel like they're trying to figure out ways to fix it but i mean i haven't really heard of a great solution at this point and and the salary cap jumps really jammed things up and uh i don't know it might take a little while to return to any semblance of normalcy yeah it definitely created I think this is one of the topics we talked about for a future podcast, but just like best and worst contracts in the NBA. Cause there are some, yeah, 
with, especially with that salary cap jump, there are some atrocious contracts out there that might be fun to fun to visit for for half an episode or something like that. Yeah, I definitely think that would be worth delving into because there's some really crazy shit out there. And it makes a difference, right? Like a lot of these teams, they make those bad signing, a couple of bad moves, and they're stuck with these contracts that they can't move. And if they want to move them, they have to give up assets that could potentially build for the future. So it can really sink a franchise quickly. Yeah, I mean, I just, I remember during the, you know, the, some of those signings thinking like these teams realize the cap's not going to just keep increasing at this rate though right like it, that's an unsustainable um you know like uh trend so i was just like these are these are these are still going to look bad you know I, like they but nba teams it's it's been this way for a while now it's like if they have the money they feel like they have to spend it and they don't care like and they start getting desperate when the market starts to dry up and you see some just ridiculous things thrown at players that you know just they don't deserve it i mean it, it's awesome for them keep keep getting them checks as jalen rose uh, always <laughs> says but like it's just like you said it can cripple a team you know yeah and it's not just like oh we have cap money this year so i'll sign a guy to a one-year 20 million dollar deal they're signing him to five-year 100 million dollar deals so it's like it's yeah it's, it's the long-term part yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. Anyway, a topic like, for another well, podcast. Like what the Sixers, the Sixers did for JJ Redick, one year, twenty something million. So as his annual salary gets overpaid, but they don't have the long term commitment to him. Like that was smart. Yeah, that, that's a definitely a smart move. All right, let's move on to a to a, a team with a very new look and and the aspirations of contention again this year. The Houston Rockets. Obviously, landed Chris mm-hmm. Paul, who we talked about leaving the Clippers. Um, so, I mean, I think we can all safely say that this is definitely destined to be a top team. But how far do you think they can go? I think there's a pretty good chance that this is the team that the uh, the Warrior, Warriors will beat in the conference finals. Um, but I, I just, I mean, I don't see them really giving the Warriors a great series. Um, I don't love the uh, the idea of Harden and Chris Paul together. And with Paul getting hurt so quickly, we haven't really gotten to see much of it at all. Um, but as we know, Harden can carry this team on his own. And, you know, they've, they've, they've literally taken more three-pointers than twos so far this season. And it'd be amazing if they actually kept that going for the whole year. Um, but, you know, that's what they're... That's what they're looking for. That's what this team is built to do. I don't necessarily see how Paul fits in that well because Harden thrived as the point guard in D'Antoni's up-tempo system last year. It was kind of a match made in heaven, and now you inject the guy who's been one of the more ball-dominant point guards we've seen in a long time and one of the best ones, but he's also, you know, in the... uh, I'm sure he's on the downslope of his career at least a little bit at this point, at least defensively, and I don't know. I just... I normally I'd be really excited for a team to get Chris Paul, but this is probably one of the ones where I'd be the least excited from a from a fit standpoint, just because of what Harden was able to do last year as the point guard and primary ball handler. I agree. I totally agree. And it's one of the things we talked about last week with the Eastern Conference team, just not having a direction, not understanding how guys like fit together and building a roster. To me, this is like mm-hmm. I'm sad as a basketball fan that Chris Paul went to the Rockets because we don't get to see him 
thrive in the environment where he is best and he is amazing to watch, right? Orchestrating the pick yeah. and roll, yeah. getting getting guys into spots where they want the ball and they can be effective. And it's just that's not right. the role he's going to play with this Rockets team because nor should he, right? Because Harden at this stage of their careers is probably the better player overall and has this the rest yeah. of the roster was built around Harden. So it seems like it right. It, it's not the match that that I would have made, and I, I'm not. I'm just not high on this team. I don't think, you know, given what Harden did last year, that Chris Paul can add additional value, enough additional value to take them to the next level. Yeah, I mean, they were in the conference finals a couple of years ago. They didn't really give the Warriors much of a series, and I think we're probably going to see a repeat of that if they get back there again. I do think that Chris Paul's going to be, you know, especially valuable when he's just like torching second units when Harden's got like you know getting a breather. But that's not maxing out his value, you know. Like that's just I just feel like they're not going to be able to utilize Chris Paul to his fullest potential. And that's just going to be kind of a bummer. But I think it's going to be a one-year experiment, and then he'll he'll walk. Really? You think this is, he just was looking for something new, wanted to test the waters, and then you think he'll start fresh as a free agent next year? Yeah, and I think there is, it's enough of a possibility to pay attention to what LeBron does, because I wouldn't be shocked if those two guys really did want to play together. That would be an interesting match, for sure. Yeah. All right, so let's flip back over to our to our analytics projections. I think we sort of veered away from it the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm curious about this one but for sure. Five, yeah, 538 is very high on the Rockets. So they've got them as the second seed in the West, second best record in the NBA, uh, 57 wins. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they're high. I mean... It's hard at this point to, to really say, I think there, there's probably three teams maybe in that next tier below the Warriors, and it's hard to say exactly where they will fall out um, within that look. But I think, I think you could certainly make the case that the Rockets have the potential to be that number two seed. I guess I just don't see them as, as going, going too, too far in, into the playoffs or really challenging the Warriors, yeah. I should say. Yeah, I don't see them challenging Golden State. And, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they lost in the second round or something either. Uh, you know, unless somehow we're just really missing something in this Harden-Paul thing, like, really just gels better than we could have expected. I, I don't know. I just, I don't really see it. Yeah. Yeah, and we talked about last week, you know, possible landing spots for Bledsoe, and I, I brought up the Spurs. And I think actually you and I had chatted in the off season that you know if you're Chris Paul, where do you go if you if you were to leave? And that's another. I mean, I whenever I see a point guard that wants to go somewhere, I always think the Spurs are the right fit. I would have loved to see him land with right. the Spurs to see what kind of of chemistry him and Kawhi and Lamarcus Aldridge. That's a that's seemingly a much better fit for him than than the yeah. Rockets. But you know. Yeah, I would have been much more excited about that than I am about this Houston experiment, for sure. Yeah. And hey, he's you know 32 now. He doesn't have that many good years left. So every year that we get to, to watch know. you know one of the best point guards maybe ever, it's, it's, a, it's, a shame to, it's a shame to seemingly waste it. 
Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. All right, so finishing up with the Rockets, let's let's move over to the Spurs. We we just sort of brought them up, so we've been going through these teams in alphabetical order, but I think think we can deviate, and I should be able to remember where to come back to. So the Spurs this year, you know, one of the teams that surprisingly didn't make a lot of moves in the off season. Um, you know, they're they're pretty much the same look Spurs with with all the changes in the Western <laughs> Conference. Um, so where, where do you where do you see the Spurs landing out this year? Uh, well, I think like I've been here before where I feel the preseason, offseason doubt creeping in about the Spurs. And then every year I think to myself, Morgan, you idiot, they're the Spurs. They're going to be just fine. And so I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not giving in to my doubt this year. I've got them as the two seed, um, uh, like in my official predictions that I made on Twitter, you know, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, I got to just, I think Greg Popovich just is better than pretty much anyone else. And that goes a really long way, uh, (laughs) night in and night out for this team. And, uh, you know, Kawhi will be back and he's, he's still underrated by so many people because it's crazy impact he has defensively. And uh, the offensive strides he's made in the past, like, two years especially, have been incredible. And uh, I'll just go into a quick story. Um, Back when Kawhi was in college, you and I went to see him live uh, playing for San Diego State. And uh, both of us came away pretty unimpressed by Kawhi Leonard. And... I really remember thinking, like, I don't remember, I don't, you know, I didn't see an NBA player there, and it could possibly one of the worst uh, scouting jobs I've ever done. Yeah, I thought the exact same thing. Like, in college, he was he was a good offensive rebounder, he was a good defender, but he didn't, like, stand out on the court like you'd expect an NBA-ready player to do against, right. you know, that level, you know, in the Mountain West. And I, I thought the same thing. I saw him a couple of times um when i was there and just yeah he never really stood out you always heard the hype he did pretty well in the tournament um obviously the hype was there he was drafted you know mm-hmm. uh i guess right right outside the lottery is that where he ended up going like 13 or something like that 15 yeah i maybe? think he was 15 yeah i think he was the first pick after the lottery yeah and so i mean a lot of teams obviously didn't see this coming so right um it's crazy the strides he's made, though, in his, I don't know what it is, four or five years in the league. Every single year, he's gotten better. And yeah. last year, I think, you know, finally he was in the discussion for MVP. Obviously, with Westbrook and Harden putting up those just insane numbers, it was really hard to give him real consideration. But right. I think in, a, in another year, he would, you know, a different year, he would have been a real contender for MVP last year. Yeah, yeah. And I've actually seen him as a pretty popular pick this year because... You know, we the the voting does feel to have a fatigue factor to it, where where you know if you've already won one, you're kind of less likely to win. Uh, they're always looking for the for the new guy, and you know he's also perceived as having less help than a lot of the other MVP candidates, probably. Um, you know, as far as talent around him goes. So, but now with the injury, that's really going to hurt him because they do look at games played a lot, and you know you have to play a, a good chunk of the season, but. Um, yeah, I think the Spurs are going to be just fine. They're, 
I mean, they gave LaMarcus Aldridge the extension. He's happy. Um, you know, he's playing really well to start the season with Kawhi out. And uh, keep an eye on Rudy Gay. I know it sounds crazy, but I think the Spurs are a good fit to maximize his talents, of which he has plenty. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we sort of talked about Brad Stevens and the Celtics from a few years ago, but I mean, for my money, Popovich is the best coach in NBA history. That, that's that I, I would actually go that far. I feel like every single season for 20 years, he's gotten the most out of his roster, really, you know, gotten them to the playoffs every single year, gotten them deep. You know, we used to, we used to, you know, when I was a son, really following the Suns, it was always those battles, Spurs and Suns, and Popovich seemingly always came out on top. So yeah. for my money, he's the best coach in NBA history. I, I sort of think of him in that sort of Bill Belichick way of, you know, you, you don't yeah. you don't necessarily know all the guys on the team. There might not be future Hall of Famers, all of them. You know, they don't have the big four that the Warriors have. But, man, they just he just gets everything out of that team. Yeah. There's no reason to think that they're not going to be really good again. Right, right. So, 538 does disagree with you here. They've, they've got them rated, let's see, the fifth seed in the West. Um, so, definitely some disagreements there. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I, maybe I'm falling victim to my own biases, but that's that seems about right to me, I think. As much as I, I sort of, I don't love what the Rockets did. I don't love what the Thunder did. I think that, you know, there's there's some teams that are, you know, up-and-comers that have young talent that aren't ready to pass them. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, I I still see the Spurs as slipping a bit, you know, given that they don't have Kawhi for part of the season. They've got, you know, an aging Tony Parker right. uh, that's, you know, not giving them what, they, what he used to. So, I see them more as a five or six seed, but... I know I've been, I have definitely been fooled before. <laughs> we will reconvene in April and, and you, we can make an assessment about that statement. I don't think I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. You never I can know. already One say it has to happen. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. <laughs> All right, let's, let's move over to the New Orleans Pelicans. I think this is an interesting team. Um, obviously we, we've already seen sort of a half a season with their, with their new look, um, with the DeMarcus Cousins trade happening at the trade deadline last year. But do you, how do you, how do you feel this team, this team gelling together now with a full season with those two stars playing next to each other? Um, it's just not going to happen and it's not necessarily the fault of them, you know, trying to do this twin towersy, uh, you know, plan with two really good bigs. It's the fact that outside of those two and Drew Holiday, they are so low on the level of talent around those guys that they're just, there's no way that they can be successful, especially in the Western Conference. Um, I think, I think the most interesting thing they're, they're, they're doing is running pick and rolls with the two bigs, which is really cool because, I mean, even 10 years ago, that sounds unheard of, right? But these guys are both guys that can handle the ball, both guys that can shoot it. Um, You know, they're really super skilled bigs. But the lack of talent around them is going to be the the downfall. And I think, you know, that 
there's some really bad contracts on that team, and it just shows you, like, you still need the role players. You can't do it without those guys. I mean, you see how talented these two guys are, Davis and Cousins, but it's just not going to be enough. Yeah, and this is a team a sort of, They've tried to make their way through free agent signings and, you know, the DeMarcus Cousins trade, while it's still a trade, they didn't give up a ton of assets. Like, he was, like, just, you know, building a team through acquisition, which isn't the easiest thing. You still need some draft picks to hit and give you value. And, you know, obviously outside of Davis, it doesn't feel like they've had that, like, you know, eighth pick or the 20th pick or the 15th pick that even gives them a semblance of, of, of real value on the team. Yeah, I mean, it, I honestly think that their best, it sounds crazy, but their best course of action would be to move Boogie at the deadline um, because he can become a free agent and uh, you know try to get a decent package for him and then just seek out that godfather offer for Davis. I mean, it sounds nuts because the guy is just entering his prime, but you're just going to waste his prime. And without moving him, you're never going to be able to, you know, to have good players to put around him. So it's sort of a catch-22. But I think blowing it up and getting some insane offer for him would be would be the best option. I mean, it's you're never going to get full value for a guy like that in this phase of his career. But I think there are some teams out there that could offer some pretty attractive packages. You know, Boston being one, and I think. I wouldn't be surprised if Davis is on Danny Ainge's radar. I just, I don't know. I mean, they, they can't even make the playoffs with this team as it's constructed. So they're not even like, you know, on the playoff, the, the bad playoff treadmill. I, they're just a lost cause. And it's unfortunate because it's going to give people the pers- the idea that you can't win with two quality bigs like that. When I don't think that's going to be the fault. You know, that's not going to be their downfall. It's just going to be the lack of talent and the lack of depth. Interesting. So you're running this team. You are looking. You're out. You're out shopping Anthony Davis, or at least listening to offers, and considering you yeah. know, moving on from your you know centerpiece, you know MVP level I level know. player. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably get fired before I got to realize any semblance of my vision. But <laughs> I do think long term it would be the best course of action to actually be like a competitive team. You know, I just feel like their ceiling is so low. They're locked into too many bad deals. If you could get rid of Cousins and Davis, get your just shit contracts off the books and get a ton of young talent and picks, you're just better off. I mean, I know trading Davis sounds nuts, but sometimes you got to think outside of the box a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the other the other thing, this is maybe weird to say, but... You know, looking back at the Spurs, you know, whatever it is, 20 years ago when Duncan got drafted, right? David Robinson was out for the year, and they were terrible, and they got the number one pick. Yeah. Right? And that's that's almost yeah. like what the best-case scenario maybe for this team is, you know, get a decent deal for DeMarcus Cousin, Anthony Davis is out for the year, it sounds crazy to say, and then, you know, land that pick <laughs> that you need to, to pair something around him. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, that would at least give you more hope because you'd have one really young guy that could be entering his prime at the tail end of Davis's prime, kind of a deal like that. I mean, Davis is still young, but yeah, that's uh, I think that was kind of a one-time deal there in San Antonio. Yeah, uh, just kind of luck lucked into yeah. it. Yeah. So one more guy I just want to bring up that 
honestly, I have not been a fan of this player's all, all his all his whole career, but I think has an interesting interesting fit in this team. That's Rajon Rondo. So he's he's out. He hasn't yeah. he hasn't played yet this season. But do you think having sort of right. that guard that is more of an orchestrator in the offense is going to materially change this team? Because he's still you know he's what, he's thirty one now, but he still distributes at a pretty yeah. elite level. Yeah, he definitely does. Um, but no, I don't think he honestly moves the needle for them very much. I mean, when maybe he gets them out of the 11 spot and into the 10 or the 9, I mean, I just, yeah, it's nice. Holiday can slide over to the 2. It kind of works in that way, but I don't see it making enough of a difference. And this is a guy that's definitely past his prime, too. You know, he's, he's I think this is year 12 or something. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so let's let's move on to the analytics. I I, I mean, I'm higher even than 538. 538's got them as the ninth best team, um, but mm-hmm. it's you know some of these it's so close. You know, it's a game on either side, so it's really hard to definitively make projections at that level. Um, so you know, you can kind of yeah. see this team going either way. Maybe 50-50 shot of making the playoffs, kind of thing. I I'm a little higher mm-hmm. in them. I think. I'm I'm curious to see how these two players really pan out with Davis and Cousins playing with each other. They are both so good and so talented and like more complete than I even thought. Especially Demarcus Cousins, like you know, yeah. and I always saw the numbers. He was playing yeah. up on a bad team, but you know he can pass, he right. can shoot. Like both those guys can kind of do it all. I'm curious to see if they can figure mm-hmm. out you know what the system looks like to get that that team into contention, but certainly not not a top-tiered team in the West. Yeah, yeah. All right, and the last team in the Southwest Division is the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah. Um, Memphis is another team that I think people are just kind of ready to give up on. And, yeah, eventually this Mike Conley, Marc Gasol era is going to come to a close and they're going to like fall off a cliff. But I don't think this is the year it's going to happen. Um, early returns have been good, but going into the season, I thought that this is a team that was being underrated. Um, I have them as the seven seed. I think that, uh, Mike Conley is still really underrated. Um, you know, he has, I almost feel like the slow start to his career has hurt his overall perception in the league way past his, you know, early struggles. And, um, and, you know, Gasol's healthy. I, that's just, like, a really solid duo. And they know they know their game plan. Uh, if Chandler Parsons can just be remotely healthy and contribute on a level resembling what they hoped for when they threw all that money at him, that would be big. He had a good game the other night. It was one game, and I think he only played 20 minutes. So not about to get too excited about that. But I just think this is one of those, like, sort of boring teams to a lot of people and they're just probably underestimating how effective they're going to be. I agree. I think we talked about it a little bit before, but you know, when the salary cap jumped like that and Mike Conley got the deal that he got, I think it raised a lot of eyebrows like Mike Conley, really yeah. you're paying him this level. But right. I, I agree with you. He's a great player. He puts up numbers consistently. He runs a good team. He's like, he can shoot, he can pass. He's kind of a do it all point guard. I really like yeah. his game. 
Marcus Saul also a really complete player, right? Like de- really strong defensively, good court yeah. vision, like does all the little things that you want to do. I agree. Those two guys are they're great players. They're great compliments. They're great ways to build a team. I guess I don't I don't see you know similar to what you were talking about before with the the Pelicans. I just I don't see the talent around those two guys that's really yeah. going to bring them into the playoffs. Like especially with the health concerns of Gasol, I just feel like this is a team that might be destined for the bottom half of the West. Yeah, I can see how you'd say that. I think what I actually like about their depth is that they have a lot of guys that, like, they aren't really names, but I think there are a lot of guys that are kind of a higher quality of player than than at first glance. Like like a guy, for example, like um, Brandon Wright, you know? He's just kind of like a journeyman forward lottery pick that never really panned out, but, like, he protects the rim really well. You know, he rebounds at a decent rate. He's going to give him 20 good minutes a night. Uh, I like the rookie, Brooks, Dylan Brooks, they took uh, in the second round this year. He's like a, a you know, a ready to come into the league and have an impact kind of a guy. Um, Tyreek Evans could be a decent pickup for them. I'm not a huge fan of him, but, like, you know, he can put up points against some second units coming off the bench. Um, one of the Harrison brothers, he's pretty decent. Uh, I like Martin quite a bit. He's a banger. You know, he fits their grit and grind kind of mentality. So it's like, it's a lot of guys that aren't really names, but I actually kind of like. Yeah. And that's where, you know, you being a professional in this space, you know, kind of really following along the, the nitty gritty is, I think, in a unique position to make those kinds of um, project, projections as bold as they may seem to the analysts out there, um, <laughs> you know, it's because a lot of those names just they're not, they're not. Um, I don't know how to describe it, but like they're not established. You know, you know, most of them. Yeah, 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 exactly. And they, you know, they've played various roles in their careers, and they're being asked to do something different now with the Grizzlies. You know, for, for the people who have been around longer. Um, you know, just because, you know, it's only 15 minutes a game for a guy like Brandon Wright doesn't mean that it's not a valuable 15 minutes. It doesn't show up in the analytics because you're not really moving the game score that much in 15 minutes, but it can make all the difference for sort of how you, how you think about, you know, a whole season. Yeah. I think they're going to be a team that you're going to see a lot of guys getting a decent amount of minutes. Like tonight, they actually kind of fell apart in the fourth quarter and lost to Charlotte. But, um, you know, they had uh, 10 guys play at least 15 minutes. So I think that shows you that, you know, they're comfortable putting a, a feeling their depth, using their depth and, and putting a good guy, a good amount of guys on the floor for a while. Um, you know, again, though, they're not super established, at least a handful of them aren't. So if those guys can't handle the roles that they're tasked with this year, then I think they could end up coming out more on your end. Than, than what I'm seeing, you know. Yeah, and I, and I think the analytics had them sort of in between, right? They've got them as the 10th best team in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they, they, it, they, it, we don't have projections, but if they were to project variation on this, I bet the Grizzlies would be one of the higher teams, right? Because they've, they've mm-hmm. certainly had years with, with a lot of the same core where they were very good. Um, and, you know, you know, finished in the, you know, obviously in the playoffs and even gone deeper into the playoffs. But yeah. they've also, you know, ha- have a, a risk here of falling off and becoming one of those bottom feeder teams. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. It, 
I'm curious to see what actually ends up happening with this team. Yeah. All right, so let's move on now. Northwest Division, we've got five teams left here. Um, right. So let's let's start here with the with the Denver Nuggets. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're kind of a a hot pick to uh, to make the playoffs. I've seen quite a few people see that. You know, it's a nice. Uh, they're obviously going for it. They they had a good pickup, Paul Millsap, in the off season. Um, we talked about it last week at the end of our podcast about the addition of Eric Bledsoe potentially. That would change my projection for them, I think. Uh, right now I have them outside the playoffs, but I think I would have them at nine. I like this team quite a bit. Um, Jokic is insanely good. Uh, his passing ability as a big man is like, I mean, this he's a guy I really enjoy watching just play basketball, on the at least on the offensive end. And... Uh, I think they're a little too young. They're a little too shaky at point guard. I was surprised they didn't bring Jameer Nelson back, uh, at least to play the backup role. I don't think Jamal Murray's really a point. Um, I think he's got a lot of potential, but I just don't think this team is quite ready. And, um, I mean, I I respect going for Millsap and, and, you know, kind of going, you know, we're going to try to make the playoffs this year, but I think they're probably just going to come up a little shy. Yeah, I, I, I have, I mean, I'm a big Jokic fan. Another guy that I think is super fun to watch because, you know, you see this big, you know, center, right? That's, that's I guess, technically his position. But you see him yeah. pass the ball, play the high-low with some of the other players of the team. Like, he's super, he's just as dangerous at the elbow as he is at the block, right? Which is a yeah. super kind of fun big man for me to watch. Again, right. yeah, I agree. Probably not, team's not ready to really make a serious run of contention. But... I just having that centerpiece, I think, makes them a super fun and super interesting team to watch out for in the coming years. They can make a few really right. smart moves. We did talk about the Bledsoe thing last year. They could be a really fun team to watch and a dangerous team if they do put it together and make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I do want to just make one mention of one of my like pet players is Gary Harris, a guy who I've really loved since uh, since he played at Michigan State. And I think he's just like... The epitome of like the kind of role player you want in your starting lineup. A guy who can shoot it, put the ball on the floor, plays unselfishly offensively, and can D up on the perimeter really well. I really like him. Just wanted to give him a little nod. Yeah, so here this is another team, man. I'm looking back at the the five thirty eight projections. Mm-hmm. And they've actually got them as the number six seed in the West. Wow. Forty eight and thirty four. That's a big bold projection i'm really surprised to see it so am i uh yeah i mean it's not impossible i think that's pretty bullish uh they might be kind of one year away from that but you know if they pull off the bledsoe trade and don't have to give up murray which it seems like they probably wouldn't have to i wouldn't rule out that kind of uh that kind of change in my projection yeah yeah, it'll be interesting, definitely, to see how, how this one plays out. I am I am really surprised to see them. This I guess last year, you know, when Jokic, you know, really moved into the starting role and got the minutes that he probably deserved all along, you yeah. know, they, they started just, you know, really turning it on. And, you know, they're projecting his career to continue on that trajectory, making him, you know, 
I don't know if he'll be able to keep up some of the numbers he was putting up in the last year, but certainly if, if he is able to be that guy, they, they do have a, a, a possibility of, of that type of projection. We'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, he is pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so moving on, I think we got some really intriguing teams here coming up. So the Minnesota Timberwolves are next on the list. Obviously, made some big, a big move in the off season. What are your, how do you think this team's going to sort of come together, in in this season? Um, uh, I mean, I I loved the Jimmy Butler trade. I don't I don't think they gave up a whole lot to really get him. Uh, he's definitely one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, I also think he's best suited as kind of your number two guy on a really good team, which which could end up working out. Um, you know, with the insane potential of Carl Towns. But I, people are getting a little too excited, I think, about the Timberwolves. I think it's going to take a little while for them to gel. And I think they, they were pretty bad defensively last year for having one of the best defensive minds in the league as their head coach uh, with Tibbs. But I think Butler's going to kind of be an extension of the coach on the floor, but it's going to take time. I think they're... They're going to struggle defensively for like the first half of the season at, at best, and I do think that they're they're overall having the big three they have now with Towns and Wiggins and Butler is going to carry them through some games that maybe they should lose otherwise. But uh, I do have them eventually figuring it out and getting the five seed. Yeah, this is obviously a really interesting team, and I think you know with the. You know, Anthony Davis coming into the league and DeMarcus Cousins already being there. I think Carl Anthony Towns is actually a, a little overlooked sometimes. That you know, mm-hmm. he had an incredible rookie year, but he's backed it up every single, you know, every year since. He's off to a good start this year. And like, he's he is an inc- incredibly talented player. Again, one of those sort of all-around bigs, can do a little bit of everything. Yeah. I saw him splash a corner three in the highlights today, which I just, you know, you don't always see that coming from someone who's, you know, a seven-footer and 21 years old, but incredible incredible talent i'm super excited to see where this where this team goes um yeah i'm I, i'm i'm not a wiggins fan he's another mm-hmm. guy that you know i saw in i didn't see him in person in college but watching him in college like when he doesn't score he doesn't bring a lot to the table which are guys i don't generally like i, th- I feel like they can get sort of stuck in their in their own zones and not really be that that team contributor that you want right um but you know if they don't need him to be, you know, all world superstar. Now they've got, you know, Towns and Butler around him. Yeah. Well, I think um, the best thing that, that that could happen to him is having a tough coach and now a really tough veteran leader teammate. Because Jimmy Butler is a dog. You know, he's going to give you those gritty plays, and he is a tough. Uh, MFR and uh, like Wiggins needs to learn from a guy like that because he needs to become tougher, more aggressive, and I think he'll learn a lot from Butler uh, defensively too, uh, as an individual and as a team defender. And, and Towns is another guy that needs needs to. He's really not very good defensively right now, and uh, you know I think it's he's so young. Guys just don't come into the league as good defenders for the most part, you know. So it's it's excusable, but now with these lofty expectations, they're gonna have to play well on that that end of the court to be successful in a really tough conference. Yeah. So so five thirty eight's got them number four in the West. 
Um, oh, wow. And nice. that same group, basically, you know, Thunder, Timberwolves, and Spurs are kind of all in the same group here um, uh-huh. from 538. So it'll be interesting to see how it, how it plays out with them for sure. And I think, you know, if you fast forward, assume they're going to be a playoff team, which I think is safe at this point. It's going to be yeah. a lot of those guys their first time in the playoffs, right? Butler, I guess, has been there before. Um, but, you know, Wiggins and Towns obviously haven't. And it'll be right. interesting to see how they how they respond to that kind of pressure, against, especially in the Western Conference. There's so much playoff experience at the top of the Western Conference. Um, it'll be really fun to see how they how they handle that pressure. Yeah, they, they feel like a, a definite step-forward team uh, and a, probably a first-round exit. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm going to um, move over. I'm actually going to save the Thunder for last. I think we, I want to just have a little bit of time to talk about that. So let, let's move on first to the Utah Jazz. I think a team that okay. was certainly on the rise last year. Um, you know, Obviously, the loss of Gordon Hayward in the offseason was, was a big blow. But do you, do you yeah. think this, the, the core around him still has what it takes to, to contend? So this is the team that I was referring to that I thought – 538 would would not line up with me because I have them as the sixth seed in the West. Um, I really still like this Jazz team a lot. Um, and, and the main reason is that they were the best defensive team in the league last year. Um, Quinn Snyder has them playing really hard on that end of the court. And, and, you know, there's a lot of cohesion. The rotations are smooth, crisp, on time. Everyone's where they're supposed to be. And, you know, it all starts with Gobert in the middle, uh, you know, anchoring that defense as a rim protector, but also a surprisingly mobile guy for his size. And this is a team that's pretty unselfish offensively. Uh, I think they're going to have some offensive struggles. You lose your go-to option without a real replacement. Obviously, that's going to be a problem. But I think their defense is 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 going to carry them through and my prediction might be a little strong but i definitely think they're a playoff team i think they're being vastly overlooked they play really home really well at home and uh i i think rodney hood's a guy that's going to take a step forward this year i think gobert's going to take a step forward this year donovan mitchell's an exciting rookie coming off the bench I think there's still a lot to like about this team. This is a well-run organization and a well-coached team. Wow, that was a very impressive jazz uh, forecast. Very well organized. You clearly put thought into this <laughs> this jazz team. I didn't. I don't think I saw that one coming. No, I think not, not many people outside of the state of Utah put a lot of thought into this Jazz team, but they're just someone I, <laughs> you know, I was going through a lot of my research in the summer that I just kind of pinpointed as a team that was being underrated. And do you think that, so obviously the big question mark for them is scoring without Hayward, where does it come from? Um, right. So you, it sounds like you, you're, you're pretty high on Rodney Hood being able to step up. What about yeah. Ricky Rubio, who's a guy that, came into the league with so much hype and has not bounced mm. around, but like Ben, you know, have bouts of effective and ineffectiveness. Like, do you think that he's going right. to be able to help facilitate for some of the other players on this team? Some of the, you know, even though they can't create their own shop, but be that facilitator. Right. Yeah. I'm glad you brought him up. Cause he's an interesting piece. I think they, they brought him in hoping he would, that that move would convince Hayward to stay. Obviously that didn't work, but I still like him a lot for this team. Um, I think 
their transition offense is going to be definitely helped by his presence. I think things might get a little bogged down in the half court as they have for this team, you know, the past couple of years. But uh, I think, again, he's such a good fit on the other end. Defensively, um, you know, he's a, he's a really strong defender at the one. And I think, I think he might make this defense even better than it was last year. You know, um, I think they only, they allowed like 95 or 96 points a game last year. It could get even better this year. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked about most of them here, but the point guards in the Western Conference are a bit of a murderer's row, so it's good to have that defensive stopper on your team. Yeah, I mean, he's long. He's got good defensive instincts. I think it's a part of his game that's that's been a little overlooked because he is a special passer, and of course, it's more flashy to watch that than like you know focus on how a guy moves his feet or anticipates a screen and stuff like that. You know, he shoots the gap really well. He's a pretty high steals guy. I like him. Yeah. Yeah, so so 538 is actually pretty high on this team as well. They've got them as the number eight seed. Um, That's higher than I thought they would. Yeah, me too, because obviously the loss of Hayward is such a huge loss, and there wasn't an obvious place where that production was going to come from. Um, Right. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, a couple weeks into the season – you know, maybe at the All-Star break or something, not a couple weeks, but maybe at the All-Star break or something like that, we can sort of revisit and do some comparisons on some of the analytics because they, they do change pretty quickly with new faces in, in new places. You can mm-hmm. you can see the sort of the models that are built sort of catch up with the fact that those guys are contributing. And we'll see, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a couple of these teams that we talked about where we disagreed with pretty, you know, pretty drastically, you know, teams like Memphis and maybe the Jazz where we can see how, how the projections change and, and either do or don't align with sort of what you're you're seeing uh, from your perspective. Yeah, I like that. That sounds like a good idea. All right, two teams left. Let's start with the Portland Trailblazers. So I think this is a team that sort of has the opposite of the Twin Towers effect, right? They've got the twin guards <laughs> that, they're, yeah. that they've been working with. But it's a team that the acquisition they made last year, I, I really liked. Um, I think they're gonna. We'll, we'll see how it gels out this year. But what are your what are your thoughts on the Blazers? Um, I think that they're gonna just be one of those teams that felt like they deserved to make the playoffs, but because the West is just too crowded, that they're just gonna be that nine or ten seed. I feel like it's them and the Nuggets are the two teams on the outside looking in, where you're just like, man, those were pretty good teams, but you know they were just. There's only eight spots, right? So I think that the the Lillard-McCollum combination has actually worked out better than I thought it would, but I still think long-term it would be better to move McCollum and get, like, a really good three. Uh, but, you know, it's again, that's way easier said than done. Um, but the Nurkic addition was really interesting. Uh Last season, he played definitely the best basketball of his career after coming over in that Mason Plumlee deal. And uh, but I don't know if I'm ready to trust him. Uh, he's he doesn't have a great reputation as like the hardest of workers. He he does have himself in really good shape. He worked in the off season, so I might be totally wrong. But I'm just not quite ready to buy into it yet. Um, again, he's a guy with a lot of talent. He's a big big dude um i think this team overall will be good i just don't think they'll be quite good enough 
Yeah, and I mean, not only did Nurkic play well when he came over, but I think the Blazers also, the, the team had a great record in like the last 20 games of the season. Unfortunately, he got hurt in the playoffs, so they they, right. they were stuck with the same old formula that they've had for the last few seasons of those two guards. But it's a team that I really like, and they've, they've run into the Warriors last year, and I think they ran into the Warriors years before, and it's it's hard when you run into a team like that you yeah. know, over and over again. Like, you know, what can you really do? But I would love to see them sort of climb the charts and, and you know, take one of those playoff spots away from the Clippers, a team that I just I just don't really like, to be totally yeah. honest. And, you know, start They're moving up the... Yeah, start moving up the up the chain a little bit and, and, and just make the Western Conference a little bit more fun. Because um, right. I think, uh, you know, those two guards, they can score with anybody at any time. It, yeah. it is really hard. I remember against the Warriors last year, they'd put up like 60 a game between them. And, you know, they'd still lose by 20. But, it, man, it was fun to watch those two go off. Yeah, they are really both impressive, like, creating offense for themselves, especially just, like, what they can do shooting off the dribble and stuff. I mean, you almost, like, I just almost want McCollum to have his own team. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and see what he can do with his own squad. All right, so that brings us the last team in the Western Conference for today, um, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Obviously, a lot of new faces in this organization um what are you what are you what are you projecting for this team well uh you know i i'm a huge fan of paul george um i think he's gonna have the least trouble adjusting to the new dynamic of their big three uh obviously westbrook spent last year playing some of the most inspired version of hero ball that we've ever seen obviously averaging the triple doubles pretty incredible uh you know i think steven adams might have gotten fined though for every rebound he took away from russ last year in the pursuit of that (laughs) record but i don't have any uh confirmed sources on that but um i think uh i think Melo's gonna have a hard time uh in in the in the real moments that matter you know, I think you'll see him play kind of like an Olympic-style mellow for stretches, and we'll think, okay, he's got it. He's the third option. He figured it out. He's accepted it. And then, you know, they'll 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 need a bucket late, and he'll just go classic mellow iso ball, jack up a terrible shot, and just be like, oh, there he is. He was here all along. You know, I I, I still think they're going to be good. I think it's going to take some time. Um, I, I actually think they have like a halfway decent supporting cast, but they're also not the deepest team. Um, I think Paul George might be what like really makes this team work because he's a guy who can play off the ball really well, but he can also be, you know, the primary ball handler, you know, if the other guys are on the bench or whatever, and he's, he's the best shooter on the team. Um, you know, but overall, I, I don't see them like contending with the Warriors or anything. I think they're kind of on the Houston level in a, a very similar kind of ceiling to me. Yeah, yeah. I was really excited about the, the move that Paul George, or to bring Paul George over to this team. I thought he was a really good fit with Westbrook. And when Carmelo, I think he came after, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think that, that decision came later. 
But to me, it's, it's again, it's an example of like, I just don't see how he adds that much value to this team. Sure, he's a great player. He will add some value. But, it, you know, the, the type of player that he is and the stage of the career that he's in, like, do you want like an off the ball mid range jump shooter on your team? You know? Right. Or an right. ISO mid range jump shooter, like, you know, taking possessions away from those other two studs? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that. Yeah, they're not that much better with Melo than they were without him after they got George. Um, but I think you do have to give a lot of credit to Sam Presti, a guy who I think has actually become a little overrated um, as an executive, but you got to hand it to him. I think, let me see if I can get this right off the top of my head. He turned Victor Oladipo... Uh, Demonis Sabonis, Enos Cantor, Doug McDermott, and a second-round pick into Paul George and Carmelo Anthony. So, got to give him a little props. That is pretty impressive. This is like your string of fantasy basketball trades throughout the season. You trace it back to its origin. <laughs> it's like, you know, you went to the flea market and bought, you know, someone's old cardboard cutout and you made a Ferrari <laughs> out of it. That, that feels like what this is. <laughs> Yeah, that guy's, that's one way to put it. <laughs> I doubt At least it's ever. Paul George is a Ferrari. I think Carmelo's like an old Mustang that doesn't run that well, but looks pretty shiny from like, you know, 20 feet away. Yeah, yeah, like a 96 Mustang. You know, really <laughs> sweet back in the day, convertible, loud. <laughs> the Brad Gary Mobile. Brad Gary special. <laughs> yeah so overall i think um i have them at the fourth seed right behind houston and uh i think they might i think they could be really scary come playoffs if these guys can settle into the roles that they need to settle into but i think the first half of the season uh might be a little more challenging than people are expecting uh, though so far they do look pretty good defensively, which is not something I anticipated right off the bat. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And so 538, just to wrap it up with their projections, they've got them as the number three seed behind the Rockets, uh, 55 and 27. Uh-huh. And I'm just, I'm just going back and looking at these numbers. And it's, it's interesting if you think about the Western Conference, I think the, the sort of analytical forecasts support this really distinct tiered system in the West. There's like the Warriors... And they've got the Rocket and the Thunder just, you know, based on the amount of talent that's on those two teams, it's hard to, hard to put them anywhere else. they yeah. got them as, like, a, another tier. They've got the Timberwolves and the Spurs sort of right behind them. And then everyone else basically in sort of a, an odd order, um, just really close, really battling for those, like, you know, five through eight seeds in the West. But even right. more so than the East, there's that really clear tiered system, even in the analytics. I think it kind of passes the eye test, too, but even the analytics sort of yeah. supports that. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. There's a surprising amount of overlap in the West. I wasn't really anticipating that. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it'll be fun later in the year to figure out if the Done Deal podcast was, was <laughs> uh, you know, forecasting and, and seeing those Grizzlies rise the ranks or if they were, you know, if we were chipping over our feet and falling on our face. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm sure there'll be a mix of good and bad. Hopefully some good, at least, uh, as far as the predictions go, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Well, I think that wraps up our our two pro, um, conference projection podcasts. We'll be back next week uh, with a new topic. Moving on from our from our conference projections. So make sure to check for us on wherever you get your podcasts. Morgan, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to the Done Deal Podcast.